This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Dive Bomb Squadcast. This is Forrest Carpenter and as we talked about a little bit on the last one, I'm going to be your host today and then we're going to be taking the podcast equipment. I'm going to be handing it off to Cade Tricky and he's going to do a couple and then Kyle's going to do a couple. You're going to get to hear a little bit from all of us, but... I am really excited because I get to sit here and talk to a really good friend of mine, Jeff Caldwell. Jeff, how you doing today? Well, I'm doing great, Forrest. How are you, bud? Oh, buddy, I'm doing all right. I got a little little uh, tingle in the throat here, but, man, I think uh, I'm a, a lot better off than I uh, usually am around this time of year. It seems like it's about this time that I get smoked by a cold uh, that really just knocks me on my back. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty darn well. Yeah, well, you know what, you know what you got to do if you if you get into that position, is you got to go see the doctor, Doctor Drake Millard. <laughs> Buddy, I like the way you think. That's uh, that's exactly <laughs> what I need to do, and uh, you know, I might. You know, it's kind of tough. I don't even know if I could call in sick for that because it. I don't know. An argument could be made that work is actually good for me, and I, I don't know. It's it's tough, tough. Right, right. Oh gosh. Well, uh, yeah. So, folks, Jeff Caldwell with Front Range Guide Service. He he's a longtime friend of mine. We've known each other. I mean, gosh, when? How long have we known each other? My mom and you worked together at Sportsman's Warehouse. That had to be what? Almost twenty years ago. Fifteen yeah, to twenty yeah. years. Man. Yeah, I, I would say 20, probably close to 20. Yeah, for sure. That's it's been ridiculous. A bit. We're getting old, buddy. <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> well, anyway, we go way, way back, and Jeff has a, a heck of a resume with guiding on the front range here, and you can ask any of the guys who have been guiding on the front range for a long time. Jeff Caldwell is a name that people know, and it's not just because he is one of the world's nicest human beings, but also because he has a way of ending up with a pile of dead geese at the end of most hunts on days when most people aren't. So, um, Jeff, congrats to you for having built up such an awesome reputation. And, uh, you know, you, I know you do a lot with the community as well, and, and a lot of folks know you that way. But, uh, man, it's, it's, it's really awesome to have you on here, and I appreciate you taking the time to come and chat. No, you bet, man. It, it, it was great timing this morning. I got we got a group out hunting today, and and I'm just actually just sitting here scouting. So this is perfect. We're we're doing a podcast, and and I'm looking for geese. Perfect. So if it gets yeah. overwhelmed with uh, the sound of uh, geese going into a field, uh, are you going to accept phone calls for uh, for bookings? Yeah, well, yeah. I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, we always will do that. There you go. <laughs> Oh, perfect. So, um, you know, like we talked about, you've, you've been guiding for a long time on the front range. When did you start guiding here? Man, that's, that is a good question. You know, it was, it was very close to that same time of, uh, you know, a little bit before when I met your mom there back in the day, I was, oh, man, I started guiding when I was like 16 years old, I think part-time, you know, helping out and, um, uh, you know, like, I worked for another company for a lot of years, and actually now going into this year, it's uh, this is going to be 14 years of having my own business here now. So total, I think it's been, man, I've been guiding for 24 years. That's kind of scary to think of there, honestly. Man, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're having to do all sorts of scary math this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, that's, Too that's... early to do that for us. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Oh gosh, well, well, that's awesome. And you started out uh, initially. Was it with Stillwater that you started with? I did. Yeah, back in the day, uh, Mark Beam owned that, and I started out with Stillwater and and worked for them for about ten years, I think. And then uh, when Mark was in the process of selling the business, and I just kind of decided, you know, I'd, it was at that point in life to where you're like, man, you know, I just really want something for myself rather than working for somebody my whole life, I kind of want my own deal. And so that's kind of when I decided to start my business was at that point. And then uh, here we are 14 years later. Wow, that's awesome. And that's that's got to be a pretty cool thing for you to, uh, you know, to kind of take a step back from and look at. You know, we'll, we'll come back and talk a little bit about your, your early days of guiding here in just a bit. But, I mean, for you to be able to to just like we were talking about just now just to be able to say yeah yeah colton's out there he's guiding a group i mean looking at your son out there uh taking a group of guys hunting and and you're you're running the business and scouting i mean that's that's got to be a pretty cool feeling it is it's you know it 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 really is it's it's a great feeling to have you know and and knowing that maybe in reality that we'd kind of built a legacy you know something that maybe i can hand off to colton and he can take when you know, statistically, you know, there again, more, more math, but you know, I'm only supposed to live about another 20 years for us and that's it. <laughs> so, you know, I gotta be thinking about that as well. I feel it uh, day in, day out, crawling in and out of that pit. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Man. Well, I tell you what the, uh, this on a day like today where that wind's blowing they're they're saying it's going to start gusting up to what 60, 65 ish. Is that kind of yeah. what I heard? Yeah. Blowing yeah, like yeah. that, the, uh, the sand, that Colorado sand ripping through and, uh, hitting you right in the face there that's bound to wear a couple years off it does it just it peels the skin right off the face you know <laughs> <laughs> if you've wondered why goose guides have such wonderful complexions it's that <laughs> reason right there there it is <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh that's wonderful um cool so before we really dig into it a little bit why don't you tell the folks just a little bit about basically what hunting on the front range looks like you know the standard uh, you know, method of hiding, uh, decoy numbers, that sort of deal. Okay. Well, we, uh, you know, with our business, as far as is on the goose hunting end, I mean, most all of our hunting is all dry field hunting. Um, we primarily run all pits I'm not saying that there isn't times where we may run a a frame blind or something like that on an edge or something like that. You know, if we've got birds that are feeding somewhere and they're not near our pits or whatever, and we need to get closer to them, we can do that. But it's mostly all all field shooting, dry field shooting. We do have some pond locations too where we're hunting, um, you know, uh, you know, over ice or and or running an ice eater and, and and trying to keep things open there. We do some of that as well, but uh, you know, mostly as you know, Boris, and, and living here a lot of years, it's 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 mostly trafficking geese. I mean, people. You know, that's the difference here of, of other states where a lot of states where we're hunting the X, we are, where you're hunting the X, we very rarely are hunting the X. Occasionally, we will have birds that are feeding in our fields, but 99% of the time, we are primarily trafficking geese. And and when you're trafficking geese, as you know, that means big spread. So it's not uncommon for us to run anywhere from 30 to upwards of 70 plus dozen who knows you know depending upon what we think we need to pull off but uh it's usually a lot of decoys and uh and a lot of hard calling a lot of flagging and 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 trying to get their attention and making the canada goose do what the canada goose may not necessarily want to do which is go somewhere that they weren't intending yeah 
Yeah, that's the truth. I mean, that, that sums it up pretty well. Um, you know, we, we get those, some, some early ducks in the field and then maybe some again later in the season. But I feel like, you know, in my time here, the vast majority has been hunting out of a pit, big spreads, running traffic, you know, and you talk about, you know, we're occasionally on an X. <clears throat> All this ground here, I mean, you, you've seen the, the process of it. It's, it seems like, the same fields are getting hunting. There's there's no new fields that are popping up that all of a sudden, you know, someone can get access to and, and now hunt. And if it does, it's it seems like it's what, one field every couple of years or so? Yeah, and it is. It's it's you know, really in reality, if anything, you know, it's more going away year by year, as you know, here with the urban sprawl of, of the front range of Colorado, you know, it's uh you know, I've always said for years we're becoming the largest uh, refuge inside city limits in the world right here on the front range of Colorado. There's a lot of a lot of urban sprawl, and there's new homes popping up all the time. That You know, it seems like we lose a field or two every couple of years, you know. And, uh, yeah, there's just not a lot of, of new stuff popping up. So it's, you know, our, the leases that we have and, and hunting on the front range is tough, you know, for somebody just to come into the state and say, hey, I'm going to go to Colorado and go goose hunting, you know, to where you can kind of freelance and do that in a lot of states. It's very, very tough to do it in Colorado. There's there's no real public ground that you can hunt that's field hunting, you know, uh, for geese. There's some decent, as you know, some decent, you know, public land duck hunting at times late in the season. But as far as for goose hunting, it's, it's pretty much um, – most things are taken up, you know, most fields are taken. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like, you know, you, you mentioned the, the the big refuge that we've got here. You know, I've heard people talking about how birds are moving into town and doing this and doing that, and while I don't disagree, I, I know there's a lot of birds that are now, you know, staying in the heart of Denver. I don't know if they weren't previously, but I think the, the biggest difference, it's not so much birds going into town, but town coming out to the birds and like you say our you know the cities are swallowing up the fields that we used to hunt i mean i can't i can't tell you how many fields i drive past where you know i'm I'm telling my wife for the 800th time you know because i i'm terrible at remembering what stories i've told her uh you know i used to hunt in this field or used to hunt in this field and you know it's a parking lot or an office development uh you know it's it's really wild to see that but uh, you're you're totally right. I, I think that that sums it up, and and you got to one of my next questions before I could even ask it, and that's you know how easy is it to come and hunt out here, and because of the lack of land, in my opinion, I think it's tough as could be. You know, I mean, what's a guy to do? You know, where where you're in your position as an outfitter, you've got to have leases, and that's that's just the way things are here, right? I mean, you've got uh, an unbelievable just flat out overhead expense in in having to lease. I, how how many different fields do you have? I mean, it, it's a bunch. It is, and I think we're, you know, I think we're guiding, I think total, I was kind of thinking about counting that up there this year, and I think we're guiding on about 17 locations. Um, and, you know, often, as you know, I mean, you can have that amount of locations and you, you still don't have anywhere to go some days. You know, it just depends upon where the traffic is. And, um yeah, it, it is. It's not, you know, there's guys for us that, that we have, and it's not that they don't have the know-how and they don't have uh, the equipment or anything like that. It's just they don't have the spots, you know. And even at that, if you do have a location, and let's say you spend the money on a, on a lease or on a sublease, and you dig a pit and you do that, you put that cost into it, by the time it's all said and done, you know, if the, if no birds are around that area, well, there you are. You're sitting on a 3000 or a $4,000 paperweight, Yeah, you know? 
Yeah, just and literally I'm, a dirt hole in the ground. <laughs> that's right. And, and you know, there, there's become more and more that's that that does go to show how tough it is here is that you know i've got more and more guys every year that that you know book several hunts with us a year because they know a they get to go to different locations they get to see different scenery um generally speaking we're around the birds and and we're we're underneath the birds you know with just like what we're doing today we're scouting you know the days we're not hunting we're watching we're scouting we're seeing what's happening so they do that, and then on top of that, at the end of the day, by the time that they figure out their finances for the year, you know, if you, you know, if you don't get to hunt your farm a lot because there's no birds there, or whatever, they're almost out ahead by just going on guided hunts, which is, it's weird. It's just it's it's that whole new progression, but it's just you know honestly, it's just kind of the nature of the beast here on the front range. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is crazy. You know, when you start adding up those costs of what it takes to get something together to get your own field i mean i I do the math i'm I'm sitting here and and going all right i'm going to be on the road between 120 and 150 days this season i've got you know x number of days at home i'd really like to go hunt someplace that's you know i don't get me wrong i love hunting public land but the the leaving my house at 2 a.m to try and get a spot and not always being the first one there um you know that's that's a little frustrating it's nice to have your own pit or your own pond or something and um you know, something else you mentioned is that most of the hunting for geese here is on dry fields, and that's just simply because we don't have a ton of water around, and what water we do have, uh, no one, for liability reasons, typically is going to lease it out, or the places that they are willing to lease it out to hunters have been leased for the past 20-plus years and will remain to be leased for the past 20, or for the next 20-plus years, right? Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's funny because people... A lot of people are like, man, where do these birds roost here? And it's like, and you would know it being a pilot, but, you know, quite honestly, if you get up in an airplane and you fly this front range of Colorado, it is shocking on how many little bodies of water there are. Gravel pits and, and ponds and, and irrigation reservoirs and stuff. Um, there, there's a lot of water, but like you said, it's it's not huntable water. It's it's hard to get on, and, and which is part of the reason why we why we house so many birds here during the you know during the winter through the winter and we overwinter these birds because they do have those roosts and honestly uh you know the thing about it is is that you and i both know that you you can shoot them where they eat dinner but if you shoot them in their bedroom they leave and the reason that a lot of our geese i think stay here on the front range is they don't get shot on those roofs very often yeah yeah it's true and you know it used to be, especially with the, the little bit more access that hunters used to have, and I just recall things, um, you know, where, where people could hunt a higher percentage of the fields surrounding the roost. I remember that birds seemed to shift their patterns uh, maybe a little bit more regularly. It seems like, uh, you know, in, in my experience now, and, and again, it's limited because, you know, I'm I'm on the road so much, but it seems like, I could be gone for a, a week to 10 day trip and come back and birds are still in the same flight line coming off the same roost, going to the same field because they're not getting shot at. And it seems like they're able to get in these ruts and get into positions where, um, you know, they're, they're not really getting picked on a whole lot. So is that, have you noticed some of that around too? Oh, absolutely. And, and like you said, you know, some of those fields that those birds traditionally feed in, um, you know, and I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, a lot of these birds, too, they will imprint. And and the reason I know that, and I know you've seen this before, too, is that 
birds will typically, when they first show up on the front range, they will go back to some of the same fields that they fed in the year before. I think some of those older geese will go back there regardless of the crop, you know, whether it's a crop change or crop rotation. But they do, I mean, they traditionally will go back to a lot of those same fields over and over and over again. It's always, it never fails to amaze me on, you're like, man, they, it's obviously these geese have been here, right? <laughs> they they know where they are, you know? Oh, yeah, so. yeah, it's, it's plain as day. I mean, and you know, whether it's bad weather coming in or a fresh push of geese showing up, like you say, there's just those traditional fields that you can go to and, and set decoys out. And while you might not have seen a goose there in the past month, there's a half-decent chance that you're going to have a decent day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, it seems like in the past, I don't know, what's what's it been now since the lessers really started showing up and hanging around? Uh, Ten years or so? Twelve? I would say ten-plus years, honestly. Um you know, we we started seeing more and more little geese and, and little subspecies of, of canid geese and cackling geese here, but it has been extremely noticeable um, without a doubt here, probably within the last 10 years. And, and even so, you know, even in the last, let's say, three or four years, like this year, there was probably more snow geese here on the front range than I've ever seen. You know, at one point there on on a, one of the roosts that is in the area here, we had probably upwards of 5,000 snows that were staying on that roost, which there again, another anomaly. And these, these little geese are definitely short stopping more and more and more here all the time um, without a doubt. But yeah, I would say probably been 10 years. That's probably a very good, accurate uh, a number. I would say that's yeah. It's, it's, it's been a while here and you know, especially in your shoes where you're out there you're seeing it every single day what what has that done to the way that you have to go about hunting geese oh it 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 has changed it dramatically i mean back in the day even like you know going back we're talking about when i first started guiding you know 20 some years ago you know generally speaking this time of the year right now at this time you know after christmas and the first of january we would typically start seeing a lot big, a lot of big geese that would be coming down out of Montana, even you know areas there along the Platte and everything out of Wyoming. When the weather would get nasty and they cover the food sources, those big birds would show up here on the front range. And it's been interesting because we don't get as big of a push of those big ones as we used to. We still do, and as a matter of fact, we just received some here in this last front. But also, what it did was it actually pushed a lot of those little geese on down. So, I mean, we're kind of in a limbo period right now um, as to what our birds have done. They've shifted a lot. The birds have definitely moved from the areas they were, but it's affected our hunting tactics completely back then. You know, you used to be able to get away with four, five, six, seven dozen decoys, you know, on a good location and where the big geese were around and spread them way out. You know, those big geese like that. Now it's like, man, we're, you know, we're, they're putting out decoys for an hour prior to, to the time we even crawl into the pit, you know, because it takes that amount of decoys to get their attention on these little ones. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it seems like, um, you know, while every year the beginning, that, that first little push of our, our real little, uh, you know, what were formerly Hutchinson and Richardson uh, lessers, uh, you know, that, that time frame seems to vary a little bit based on weather. But, man, it's blown me away how many 
up until, like you say, this last cold snap that we just got right here, how many little, little lessers that we've had, stuff that's typically down in Lubbock, uh, you know, come, come Thanksgiving, they're usually, you know, either in their last few days here already down in Texas, they were here just, what, a, a week ago, week and a half ago, we're still seeing those little, you know, four and a half pound, five pound geese. Oh yeah. 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 And I, and there's still some, I think that are around, you know, I just, matter of fact, just sitting here watching there a minute ago, there was a flock that went by that was an extreme mixed bag. <laughs> there, was some, there was a couple of birds that were definitely graders in there and it looked like there was some garden variety mediums. And then there was two little teeny tinies in there, you know, so there's still some that are hanging out, um, even now up to this point, but, uh, yeah, it's, Man, it's changed. And, and, you know, the time they arrive for us has changed, too. I mean, it used to be, we used, I used to always say you could put an X on the calendar between the 10th and the 15th of November, and that's generally when we started seeing our first push of, of little geese that would show up here. Every year it seems to be earlier, and, I mean, man, it's, it's not uncommon now. I mean, this year I think there was little ones showing up here before Halloween, you know? And it, so that has changed too. And I, and I think, you know, maybe some of that even could be part of the fact that these birds are starting to overwinter here. So maybe we're noticing them earlier, so to speak, ver, versus maybe some of those birds that were migrating through here during the night that we never saw before. And so we really even never knew they were going through, you know, I'm not sure. But. Yeah, that's, that's definitely possible too. You know, I, I hadn't really thought about that, but you know, one, one thing is for sure, especially with the little geese, and that is that instead of, I remember the rush, you know, as soon as goose season would start there that third week in November, uh, and they've shifted our season dates a little bit, but I remember when that hit, it was a mad scramble for two weeks to go out and shoot as many geese as you possibly could because we had the little ones in, they always wanted to play, we'd always get a snowstorm in there, and it would, you know, press the reset button for them typically you know halfway through their 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 visit and man it was it was just a heyday and then they would disappear and would get into our our best friends the mid-sized canada goose uh, i'm just kidding don't anyone who's listening don't ever say a kind word about a mid-sized canada goose unless you want to start a fight in colorado um, <laughs> but it seems like we had those little little uh, lessers for uh, three weeks to a month then they would be gone, uh, no longer than a month. Then we'd be into our mid-sized birds for a little while, and our, our big Canadas would show up, like you say, right at Christmas and carry us through either until the end of the season or until that reverse migration started up with, uh, you know, with our, our little geese coming back. And, you know, th that's always a heyday too. But now it seems like these little geese showing up early isn't necessarily indicative of them only being here for a little while. They're tending to hang around and um you know i i know for the big geese especially back in the day that the management as far as the shooting uh man i i don't know about what your number was but but for me it was you know somewhere in that you know 15 ballpark where much more than that and i didn't want to shoot into a flock because it was just too much and you just wear them out right 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 so, yeah and yeah, and, and of course with the little ones, you know, a lot of times if you're not shooting into a big flock, you're not shooting. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, what's what's that what's that do for you? I mean, with with these birds now trying to stay and and instead of just being here a couple weeks, staying the entirety of the season, um, how how do you go about trying to manage something like that? 
Well, and it, it's tough. It is tough to manage force, no doubt, especially when you've got clients. I mean, everybody that comes as a client is is paying. They want to shoot their shotgun, obviously, but in the same token, a lot of times if, if we've got a flight and, and you know, we're, we've been working on that flight, whether it be on one or three different fields that we're trafficking those geese over that area, you know, when you start shooting into flocks of a 1,000 geese, you educate a lot of birds in a hurry. And basically all it does is make it more and more difficult for you day by day by day. But in the same token, here you've got paying clients that are paying. They want to shoot into geese, you know. And the problem is with the little ones, you generally have to shoot into bigger flocks if you really want to have, you know, a, a good successful day and, and have that pile pick that everybody wants. You know, it's, it's hard, but in the same token, you've kind of got to, you do have to manage that to an extent. And generally our rule is obviously is that, you know, if we're getting down and we only need a handful of birds and we've had a pretty successful day already, a lot of times I am going to look down the pit and I'm going to tell people, I'm just going to say, Hey, look, you know, get out your cameras, get out, you know, start videoing, start watching. We're just going to sit and enjoy this because we're definitely not going to shoot into this for four geeks, you know? And, that is that's tough. It's, <laughs> I mean that that is something that's hard to juggle, obviously. Um, but in the same token, we are fortunate that we do have various subspecies of geese to where it's not all you know. Like I know, like you you've hunted, spent quite a bit of time down south and in, in the Panhandle, of Texas, and stuff. And those are big flocks. It's not you're not shooting at pairs and singles and stuff very often, are you? No, huh? <laughs> Never. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it does, it, it changes that. It changes the entire dynamics of that. And, you know, as far as even this year, I don't know how many times this year we've had it, but it's, it, it's been a lot. I mean, to where we literally just said, look, guys, we're not going to shoot right here. And the thing is, once people, when people do have birds on the ground, they're a lot more apt to be okay with that. And fortunately, I think most people are you know, there's still a lot of those people that are all about that limit pick, you know, and they want that pile pick and they want to make sure that everybody has their five geese. But in the same token, we're, we're trying to promote the, the thing that, you know, we're out for the experience. It may not necessarily be that pile pick of all, all 20 or 25 birds that you need, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, um, you know, it, I've talked about it a little bit in the past and just the different stages of being a hunter, you know, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks early on are, are I mean, there there is that kind of bloodlust stage, and a uh, yeah. limit becomes the goal entirely. And especially, you know, in your shoes where your job is to take people and give them opportunities to shoot at geese, mm-hmm. I'm sure that that weight kind of wears on you every now and then. And, and it can, it can I know it always felt like a goal for me, you know, we're, we're trying to get to a limit. But when you get those big groups, especially, like you say, late in the day after you've, you've, had a had a good time raining into a bunch well heck on the uh the second day that we hunted together this year we had that where we needed uh something silly like two or three geese and we had uh, i think that group was probably you know four or five hundred come in and, and do it right that just doesn't make any sense to shoot into and honestly it is just as cool for me to sit there and watch them and i feel like i remember that flock better than any group the rest of the day and it's not because it was uh, dramatically more geese. We had a couple big spins that day, but uh, I remember that group more just because I wasn't so 
you know, intently focused on listening to hear someone, you know, say, get ready, get ready out back or out, out front and, and get ready to shoot them. I just got to sit back and, and think about it and enjoy it, pull out the camera, like you say, got a few pictures. Um, and, and to me, that is even more special than pulling the trigger. And it makes for a better experience, in my opinion. Oh, it does. It does. And, and you know, and, and man, some of the photos that you actually took that day and some of the photos that we've been able to take on, on days like that have honestly been some of the, it, it's crazy. You know, you can, you can post pile pics and everything like that and people will, will, you know, punch the like button on those. But a lot of times the pictures that you post of birds backpedaling over the decoys get a lot more likes than you do over a pile pick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, because, I've found that too. Because to me it, it is, it's funny, but, and you know, my opinion on that, I would, uh, yeah, I mean, I could care less if I shoot a Canada goose the rest of my life. I, I just love watching them. I love decoying them. That's part of the reason why I enjoy being an outfitter and a guide is I still enjoy that aspect. I don't need to shoot another one, honestly, the rest of my life. I mean, I shoot very, very few. Matter of fact, the only time I shot was was when you guys came out and we did the dive bomb thing, which was very enjoyable to me. You know, I don't mind doing it a time or two a year and make a load of jerky and some goose kebabs and stuff like that out of that. But, boy, the rest of the year, I just enjoy watching them. And, and that's why I still enjoy the guiding aspect, I believe. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and guiding... You know, it, it changed me as well in the way I looked at it, too, because, you know, when you're able to share that that super intimate experience with someone and, and getting to, to show them something that we are so passionate about and getting to see mm-hmm. that, that light turn on where they go, oh, mm-hmm. this is where mm-hmm. it is. This isn't just a bunch of rednecks going out and wearing Elmer Fudd hats and, and going out and, and shooting at everything that has a pulse. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's about you know, a, a passion that we have for these mm-hmm. birds and, and showing them why we're so enthralled with it. And, you know, kind of, kind of helps connect the dots on, you know, why hunters are the leading donators to conservation and, um, you know, why we care so much about it. And, you know, most people are pretty darn educated about these birds too. You know, it's just kind of a, a neat thing to be able to share with people. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, people often get when they come on a hunt that they weren't looking for before. And, it, I think that is what really helped me turn the corner to getting to where I am now to where, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I've killed a lot of lesser Canada geese, greater Canada geese. And unless it's, uh, you know, kind of an oddball or, you know, a, a band hunting or something like that, I, I do like looking for, for oddities, but I don't need to just go out there and shoot my gun a whole bunch. You know, I used to pack two boxes of shotgun shells in my blind bag every day just, just because, you know, what if the snows show up or what if it gets good? Man, I could go out there with a handful of shells, leave the same three shells in my gun all day looking for a hybrid or, or something like that. If the gun never goes bang, that's fine. That's few fewer geese that I have to clean. And, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to put some meat in the freezer, but otherwise... Yeah just getting to take people, getting to watch birds do what they do. That's what does it for me. And, you know, I, I wonder when, uh, have, have you noticed any correlation between, you know, posting those birds landing in the decoys and showing finishing birds as far as people booking hunts? Have you ever looked into it that far? Yeah, we do. And, you know, and we like, we're, we're just, we're actually just starting to get into the filming aspect. As you know, I, I spoke with you about it, but we purchased a camera here and we're, 
we're trying to learn the ins and outs of that. And that is a, that is a whole nother can of worms in itself, as you know. So, uh, but we're, we're trying to, to get that figured out too. But, but yeah, that, that definitely does do it because we're not all about, you know, going up after them and shooting them tall at 40 yards or whatever. We want finished birds. We want birds that are finished in the decoys, you know, and that's one thing with our business, you know, I can't, guarantee success with my business i nor would i do that obviously because there's there's no guarantee in that in hunting but but the one thing we do tell people is that we're going to promise them opportunities at decoying canadas or we're going to re-hunt them and, and when i mean decoying canadas i mean birds that are committed to the decoys not a glorified pass shoot that's swinging over the top of the pit you know we're going to we're going to decoy those birds and that is our objective and and so, yeah, those those photos, those films, all that stuff of, of showing how the birds are decoying, all that does make a difference because, um, you know, if you just want to go out and just glorified pass shoot, you and I both know that we could probably find multiple locations daily where we can pass shoot them at 60 yards. But that's not our objective, you know. So, yeah. yeah. Honestly, even in just, uh, you know, the, the times that we've hunted in the past couple of years, uh, I hunt a lot of places when I when I go and hunt myself. You know, I, I don't mind. I enjoy you know a, a, a right over the top that that nice over the top belly rake. Mm-hmm. You know that that twenty five mm-hmm. to thirty five yard shot. That's that's right in my wheelhouse, and I, I'm never too shy to take it. It's definitely not pretty, but you know it gets the job done and that sort of thing. Man, I was amazed. You know, you talk about glorified pass shooting at sixty. How many <laughs> shots at at 30 you would pass up and the patience that both you and Colton uh, and Jake all displayed in letting those birds work another two, three passes, even if we only got 10% of what came over the top originally to have those birds finishing feet down, like you say, committed to landing in the decoys. I mean, that's, that's flat out what it was. And, um, you know, even after 20 plus years of experience on my end and, and doing that, that that takes some patience and that that takes some resolve to say no we're going to this is what it's going to be and and you know it's going to be worth it and sometimes they might slide off sometimes i might do it right but uh you know it's it's a really really cool thing when you know you're able to to just have the patience to let the let the birds do what you want them to do Right, right. And, you know, and, and just like you said, though, I mean, but there's, there's so many variables to that too, as well, because truth be known, um, you know, over the, in doing this for 24 years, I have come to realize too, that obviously that, uh, sometimes the birds that are missed oftentimes are the closest geese. Geese that are backpedaling inside 10 yards generally are the birds that fly off and never gets, you know, touched. And, We've come to realize over the years that if, in fact, we can somehow manage to get those birds to finish at that 25-yard range where the pattern opens up and and everything, that is hands down the most effective range for most people, especially people that don't shoot a lot, um, to where they may not be dead on, you know, at, at those close-range shots. That So a lot of times we have to put that into consideration. We also have to put into consideration the fact of the matter that, um, you know, oftentimes if you've got four or five people in the pit, um, we're looking for that perfect center shot where everybody can shoot their guns at a good, safe 45-degree angle off the corner of our pit lids 
you know, to where everybody gets that opportunity to shoot. And sometimes we'll let them slide and then we go, it, we should have shot them. <laughs> it was a mistake. We should have shot and they fly off. And then you just kind of go, well, you guys can give me a spanking after the hunt there, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, but there's oftentimes that just, there's times when, you know, we, we make a bad choice based upon what we see, but, but our objective is, is to get them right. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Well, I know you guys do a heck of a job of it and there's really not many people on the front range that are able to do it the way you do it as consistently as you do. And, and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of really, really great goose hunters. Um, in fact, actually that, that kind of, uh, you know, brings me to a, a question that I've wanted to ask you a little bit here and, and I'm going to put you on the hot seat. So we hear some of the best goose hunters, some of the best goose callers going around the country, guiding all over the place, coming from the front range of Colorado. Is the front range of Colorado that much harder than any place else that it just breeds great goose hunters? Well, you know, and that, that kind of is putting on the hot seat and I would honestly and the only reason that I say this is because of I've kind of heard some of the same things that you have over the years and in, in, in different areas around the country and and honestly you know just because of that fact that maybe 80% or 90% of that highline population does winter here and that garden variety medium goose that we all have a love hate relationship with here on the front range. Um, they are tricky. They are tough. They're very difficult to decoy. And a lot of times we've got to pull out all the stops, man. We have to, we have to pull out all the bags of tricks. And I think with that being said, they are some of the toughest birds in my opinion in the country. Now I've hunted a lot of different States and, and, and a couple provinces in Canada and, you know, I, I've always, well, I've told you before, I, you know, and, and there's people who are going to scoff at when I, when they hear this on this podcast, but I rate the big Canada goose is about as bright as blue wing teal. I don't <laughs> think they're very smart. I really don't. I, I just don't. I mean, to me, a big Canada goose, somebody that's not a very avid goose hunter, um, to go out and shoot a limit of big Canada's to me just really is, is not as big of a feat as, as some make it out to be. Now, to go out and shoot a limit of, of mediums and, and the birds that we're hunting here on the front range, you and I both know that is a feat. I, I mean, so whether that answers the question or not, I don't know, but um, I do know a lot of really, really good goose hunters even here in, within this state, and most of those guys have come, you know, come to the realization as well that, these birds are not easy here yeah. at all. Well, and it's if you look yeah. at the guys who guide on the front range, uh, like you yeah. talked about in the old days, man, the, the yeah. good old days, buddy, you could go out there and I can't tell you how many limits of Canada geese I shot exclusively out of singles or singles and pairs and never a group bigger than five. I mean, it just, oh, yeah. it just you could sit out there and every goose you saw, uh, one at a time, you could pull them, turn them, shoot them. Boom, that's it. Yeah. You, you saw a single at three-quarters of a mile away. If you could get him to see a six-by-six-foot, you know, square flag uh, yeah. and get him to turn at you, it's it's game on and game over. Boys, grab your guns, get ready. He'll be here yeah. in two minutes, but we're going to get him. And now, huh. man, 
look at look at the number of guys and guides who are no longer in it. And don't get me wrong, a lot of that is just you know getting into new jobs, uh, getting burnt out on it. That definitely happens. But I feel like the quality of guide in Colorado has had to go up to have success on a regular basis. Yeah, it, I, I I feel it is, and and you know, and there's a lot of other good outfits here on the front range of Colorado as well that you know and I and I know a lot of them and they're very very good at what they do and I mean very good at what they do and and if they're posting um, good numbers of harvested geese they have to be they have to be good here you just you just do and you know and a lot of that falls into you know and and I don't know how many times we've said this over the years, but location, 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 that always helps. There's no doubt about that. But then there's often that other part where it may not necessarily be the location. You may not be on the X and you're still managing to shoot them. That does have to say something. That says something for itself. Yeah. I've, I've always thought that that says more than anything personally, guys that can, that can do it day in and day out because like you say we're not hunting X's. we're not always under them and location gets you under the birds here that's that's the main goal is to get birds to fly over you and how you are able to control those birds once you see them is what sets apart the men from the boys and you know the the thing that i can say that i've noticed the guys who consistently kill birds all of them have something that they do differently. And it's not always one thing, but they've got one key skill of theirs that really sets them apart. And, you know, we'll we'll talk about a couple of the guys here and and talk about, um, heck, the Roth brothers. Those guys, uh, they're both pretty darn good uh, amateur taxidermists. They've got a great stuffer spread. And I can't say I've ever heard those guys overcall a group of birds. And they will day in and day out have success you also do a lot of really cool stuff and and i want to you know hear your take on on some of the things that you do about uh you know finding success there's other guys who uh build some some randomness into their spreads and literally opening the trailer kicking out what falls out and just (laughs) setting it up and seeing what happens or 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 Mm -hmm. just doing off the wall type stuff that that birds Mm -hmm. don't see and it's it's Mm -hmm. those those little things that separate them from every other goose hunter who's got uh you know a, a 40 acre lease one pit right in the middle of the field with the same lid and uh the same 20 dozen big feet that they've had since they moved here back in 2003 right right and you know it's it's kind of one of those things that you know i it's funny because over the years in guiding and i've had clients tell me and they say man you are such a good goose call i am not a good goose caller (laughs) you're a pretty good goose caller I am the first one to admit I am not a great goose. You are a great goose caller. Kyle Jones is a great goose. That is a good goose caller. I am efficient enough. And, but what I generally, you know, I, I, like you said, I think everybody has their own little niches. And, and the one thing that's always kind of been in the back of my head is the, is the why, um, you know, Colton will, Colton will tell you, I mean, I'll, I'll go somewhere and, and, and he'll be talking to his buddies and he'll say, yeah, dad pulled it out of his butt over there. I don't know how he did it, but he managed to kill 20, you know, whatever. But what I, my general 
rule of thumb is, is, is obviously is I really pay attention to geese. I, I really like watching geese and I like paying attention to geese. And to me, the sight picture of the decoy spread, if to me is more important than the calling and everything else. If that sight picture looks correct to me, you can get away with a lot of other stuff, a lot of other stuff that's not quite as perfect. And I, and I have always thought that, you know, guys that just go out and randomly just, you know, put out decoys. And a lot of those guys will kill a lot of geese, but I've also, you know, my, my brain tells me a lot of times that the guys that randomly put it out, they also have something just like you said, something else, that works in their favor, you know, but to me, it's, it's always a sight picture of paying attention to those birds. And the, I mean, man, when it's, when it's super cold, like this really frigid spell that we went through, you go and you drive around and you look at birds that are laying down on their belt. They're, they're, they're not walking. They're laying down on their bellies in the snow. And if you really pay attention, over 90% of them are facing into the sun. And people don't put that into consideration. Now that's hard to do with, with uh, you know, with silhouette decoys like we do. But now you know, with dive bomb having these new sleepers and everything, man, do they look good <laughs> when they're, you know, when you push them down and you you have those sleepers sitting there facing into angles into the sun like that, they look absolutely realistic. But that's always been my thing for us is is I try and I create that sight picture to make it look like what I'm hunting, to make it look like to where it's undeniable to those geese when they're coming and they look and they go, that's us. That's no doubt us. I mean, we may not have been sitting in that field before, but that's us. Now, when you're talking about that sight picture, I agree entirely. I'm just, when, when you're looking at that, how far away are you talking from the edge of the spread, from the truck, from the highway? I mean, where, where is that, that, key zone that you're looking at it and and saying yeah this is what i want well and you know and a lot of times it, it can vary but it's it's interesting as you you know depending upon how close you can get to the birds as you're driving down the highway and you see a bunch of birds feeding in the field i like to really glass those birds closely as close as i can with good optics and stuff to just just kind of take a look and see how they're set up in that field a lot of times you know you'll see at times when you know, depending upon how the field was harvested or whatever, if the grain cart is falling along the combine and if the combine's missing the grain cart, you know, the spout's missing the grain cart at some point or or if they harvested the wheat and same thing, you know. A lot of times you'll look at those birds in the field and they will be lined up in lines. And I mean like in lines, not just randomly scattered out all over, but they will be like in feeding lines across that field. So if I see that in a particular field or whatever, a lot of times I'll try and duplicate that or or make that look very, very similar. And warm weather, a lot of times, you know, they will spread out a lot more. I mean, these these little geese, when they hit the field originally, they are in a ball. And I mean, they are tight, 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 tight. But then as they loosen up and they get more comfortable, they will actually start to feed away from each other and oftentimes actually create almost a perfect donut. And you and I both have seen it before. It's, it's amazing to see, but a lot of times if you can create that illusion with your decoy spread, I just think it just makes those birds that much more comfortable. You know what I mean? And so I, I try and get as close to them as I can. I watch them no matter where they are, whether they're on a 
alfalfa field or a corn field or whatever, and they'll they'll respond differently depending upon the crop they're in. If they're in an alfalfa field, they may spread out more than they will if they're in a corn field and they're feeding tight, you know. So now, do you take that into consideration? You know, obviously with with us hunting traffic all the time, you're, you're watching geese, but I mean, mm-hmm. honestly. You're, you're not watching them in your field as often as you'd like to be. Are you trying to duplicate what you're seeing by crop or by temperature or what, what do you usually use to, to put those pieces together? Um, all those, all those variables. So, and, and that's the thing, you know, the, all the variables. So we're looking at the, we're looking at the crops that they're actually sitting in the temperature and the weather and where they're sitting, um, you know, and, and, how they're sitting in the fields as well as oftentimes the wind and the wind direction, what part of the field they're sitting in. And that's where it comes into play. Sometimes we are just talking about, you know, we try and hunt in pits all the time, but there are times, you know, late in the season, we will utilize an A-frame blind if we have to on the corner of a field, depending upon how those birds are responding. A lot of times late in the season, um, as it gets later, the middles of the fields are fed out. They start feeding towards those edges. And they'll be cram-packed on those edges. And if you're sitting dead center middle of the field, I think a lot of times those birds, if they're educated and they've been shot a lot, I think they they kind of see that as danger to where the decoy spread is right dead center middle of the field. You know, I think I think there's a lot of it's, – it's a combination of all those variables. It's not just um, looking at them in a cornfield and then you go to hunt an alfalfa field and you set your decoys the same in the alfalfa field as you did in the cornfield. You got to make your adjustments or make adjustments according to where you're hunting, the weather, um, the time of day, oftentimes, you know, a lot of different scenarios like that too as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just remember so many years, you know, even, uh, just the last few years that I was able to be in Colorado a lot and hunt, it, it just seems like even the, you know, some days, you know, you go through spells of, man, it's a morning game or it's an afternoon game. And while birds mm-hmm. may still be feeding twice a day, one or the other, they may not be willing to play. You know, it's a water to water and then they just kind of fiddle around and then they'll go out to feed, but they just kind of give you the middle feather sometimes and uh, you know, yeah. if you go and hunt that other feed, uh, whether it's morning or afternoon, you, you could have lights out results. And I, I've always been a guy who, who preaches scout when you're going to hunt, you know, and, and watch what the birds are going to do. If you're going to hunt the next afternoon, watch them th- this afternoon. If you're going to hunt in the morning, try and watch them in the morning if you're able to uh, and see what the birds are doing. Because, you know, especially here where we get our big temperature swings, it'll be super cold in the morning and then, uh, you know, 60, 65 degrees some afternoons. Um you know, birds will do some weird stuff. You know, they may be going to grain first thing in the morning and, and feeding in a cornfield or a wheat field or something like that. Uh, and yeah. then in the afternoon when it gets warm, they'll go out to a winter wheat field and, you know, lie down and just pick the, the green sprouts around them and, you know, kind of a, a afternoon at the spa for the geese. So, um, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's all very good stuff that you point out there that, um, you know, just be observant, and I think we can learn everything that we need to know as hunters about mm-hmm. geese by simply watching geese. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you know, just like you said too. I mean, there's times where we may have a location where we're quite certain those birds are going to be in that area in the afternoon. But then, let's say we've got a group of clients, and like today, we've got a group of clients 
they're they are only able to hunt the half day today they're only able to hunt this morning we made a choice for where we sent them today based upon where we thought these birds would move in the morning these birds have not really been doing a whole lot in the morning here since this big cold snap and so we had to make a choice based upon what we've been seeing and and just like you said what we've been observing i spent several hours yesterday driving around all over you know i I burned almost three quarters of a tank of gas yesterday that's the other part that people don't realize they think well you know yeah you went scouting well yeah no we went scouting (laughs) three quarters of a tank of gas (laughs) yesterday to try and figure out exactly what to do with the set of clients that we knew could only hunt in the morning and um, I'm hoping that choice has, has panned out for us. I know it had already. They had shot a few birds already this morning the last I talked to them. But um, we made that choice based upon an area down there um, close to town where there was some birds that were moving in the morning. Now, where we're basically trying to dupe those birds and traffic those birds, even though they were really only going, you and I know about this a lot, these birds were really only going water to water in the morning. We had to pull them into the ground, which is something they didn't want to do. Yeah, yeah, that's but it, that's that's a difficult morning for anybody, right there. It is, and 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 on and when I spoke with Colton there briefly, he told me the same thing. He said he was kind of getting some courtesy glides, but you know, some of them were buying it, some of them were buying it, and he was he was getting some shooting there for the guys this morning. But yeah, but there are so many of those things that go into people just they don't realize really i think what it goes into in guiding and what is involved in it and it's a lot it is a lot it's a we often i joke about it and say a lot of times it's kind of a pride swallowing siege a lot of times because a lot of times the best laid plans end up going south on us (laughs) yeah that's the truth i mean and and if you if you haven't been waterfowling long enough to to know how many hunts you go into feeling like yes we're gonna knock them dead and then you get you you get your rear end handed to you on a silver platter versus the days where you go out hoping to scratch out one or two and end up having a bang up day. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the deal. Confidence, pride cometh before the fall, right? Amen to that. My friend. Yeah. And it, it, it's one of those things that, you know, there's so many times where we just don't, we don't have a grasp on, uh, really what is going to happen on a day-to-day basis you know people go on guided hunts and they think that this is just a 100 percent guarantee thing it's just going to happen right and man they have no idea how nervous we are on a daily basis we almost throw up in the morning thinking about our hunt <laughs> i mean it's just it's crazy but uh yeah it is it's but it is, it's, it's also that aspect of it that keeps me going oh, and man. makes me want to do it more and more. That's, that's awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with us today. I think we, we covered a lot of stuff that's, um, you know, whether you're experienced or a new goose hunter out there, uh, there's a lot of really good stuff. And honestly, if you want to come someplace and learn something, and I, I say this to people all the time, go on a guided hunt. If you want to learn as a beginner, um, go on a guided hunt and a lot of times people i mean while their you know guides are are looking to you know eventually book repeat customers 
it's not a bad thing to just say, hey, I'm new to this. Can you kind of walk me through this a little bit, you know, when you have time? And, and I know guys like Jeff, guys like myself, Hunter Pig. I, I, I know a, a long list of guides who are happy to help out and, and, and show you the ropes a little bit. So listen to this podcast a couple times uh, with your notepad. Take notes. Get some of the good stuff you heard from Jeff. And don't be shy to book a hunt. You know, try something like that. You'll learn more in one day. Uh learning from someone else's mistakes than, uh, well, maybe not more than, but it'll, it, you'll be able to do it in a day versus doing it in the season, you know? Um, but, but Jeff, just thank you so much for, for coming on here with me and chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's, it's always a blast getting to chat with you, hang out and all that stuff. I'm, I'm lucky to live close to you and call you a really good friend of mine. So buddy, until next time, we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you here soon. Absolutely, Forrest. Take care. Have a great day, man. It was my pleasure. Was all mine, man. I, I I've always enjoyed spending time and speaking with you, brother. And and uh, man, you're we we appreciate everything you guys have done for us too, as well. And and it, the pleasure's all ours. I guarantee you. Well, thanks, buddy. We appreciate it, and uh, and we'll catch up with you here soon. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Dodd Bomb Squadcast. Thank you.